Hello, Living Streams. Uh, good to be with you, or at least be speaking to you, and you're with some people maybe, with your pets maybe, whatever you might be. I am currently with um, a giant light right here that you can't see, but it's kind of like this all-seeing eye looking into my soul. Gives me a little bit of light, a little bit of comfort, maybe. Over here, I have a screen that's telling me how much time I have left and whatever Nick Orso wants to yell at me during this thing. So I'm not alone either, but um, we're going to have some fun today. Um, hope you had a good 4th of July weekend, um, and I uh, hope you're doing okay and finding some endurance and perseverance as we navigate this challenging time in our country and in our uh, chemistry even, in our science these days with the COVID. And um, We are going to be in John chapter 2 today if you want to grab a Bible and turn there. Um, and as you're doing that, I really want you to hear me very clearly right now. Living Streams Church, if you consider yourself a part of Living Streams Church at all, or maybe even are just interested in what Living Streams Church is doing, July 9th, we are having a congregational meeting. You've probably heard about it in a couple of announcements, but I want you to hear it from me right now. July 9th, I really would appreciate if you would make time um, to join us at 6.30 online, um, and uh, all the information is on our website, but July 9th, congregational meeting, we are going to tell you all the answers to all the questions in your life. It's going to be amazing. But we are going to talk seriously about what the church is doing, why we're doing it, and what the next steps are, both for this month, for the future, and all of that. Um, so please make that a priority. Did I say July 9th, 6.30? Just in case. Yeah, there you go. There it is again. I think I said it, but let me say it. July 9th, 6.30. All right, John chapter 2, let's read this and let the Word of God just wash over us. Let's try and quiet everything else in our minds and hearts and uh, see what John the Apostle is saying about Jesus in this chapter. John 2, verse 1. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you to do. Nearby there were six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial cleansing or washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons of water. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet, the most important person at the feast. And they did so, probably feeling a little unsure about what was going on. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then gives the junky stuff, the cheaper wine after, the guests have already had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. So this is the word of the Lord. This is John writing as he's, thinking back as he's accounting um, the life of Jesus and the interactions he had with Jesus in the flesh, in the body, in um, Israel at that time. And John is at the end of his life. He's been through a lot. Um, 
He's probably around you know, 85, 90 years old. Um, he's writing right up close to the uh, end of the first century. And uh, he's recounting back, uh, and, he, and he's writing to us, basically trying to um, give an account for why he believes in Jesus. And, and there's debate as to who he was writing to or who he had in mind. And to me, it just seems like he might have had Hellenistic um, people in mind, the, both the Greco-Roman world that he was probably interacting with up in Ephesus. And, 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 and the way that I think that, as we talked last week, is, is he starts out calling Jesus the Logos, um, which, is, which is a Greek word. And it's kind of more than a Greek word. It's a Greek concept. It's, it has a lot of depth and meaning um, in the Greco-Roman world. And so you can check the message out last week if you want to know more about that. But, but he introduces Jesus as the Logos, and then he goes on to talk to us about this guy, John the Baptist. So you got John the Apostle, who we'll kind of call John A, John the Apostle. And then you got John the Baptist, we'll call him John B, exhibit John B. And uh, John the Baptist um, was this really neat individual who, um, in his day and age, was able to walk in a way that really uh, exemplified being in the world, but not of the world. I mean, in some drastic ways, John had pulled out. He was wearing camel skins. He was eating locusts and honey. He was kind of living out in the wilderness, as far as we know. Um, he was baptizing people. He was calling people to come out of, really, even the religious system of the day. He was calling people to come out of um, their greed, out of their selfishness, out of um, all of the different things that... that that, cause, that are sinful. He was calling them out and saying, please come and return to God. And amazingly enough, this wild-haired, wild guy um, had a lot of people coming out to be baptized by him, to, to hear what he had to say. Uh, Jesus called him a prophet later on, and, and, and his prophecy, the words that he spoke, were able to cut through the confusion of that day and really land in people's hearts. And it was drawing people out of the worldly systems, out of, of all of that into kind of a more fresh beginning with God. Um, even these people that were steeped in religious things in the Jewish world. And I've just really been praying that we're going to have a lot more John the Baptist rise up in our time, in our day, as we have so much noise and so much dissension and so much actual pain and confusion. Um, we really need the prophetic voice to come on strong and to cut through it all and speak to our hearts so that we'll know how to, how to be in the world but not of the world. Have a navigate um, this challenging dynamic that we're in with all the political tensions, with all of the, the, the shouts and the screams, even with kind of de deciding how we're going to navigate these racial issues and this racial pain and, um, and, and other things as well. So I love the John the Baptist, and we talked a little about him last week as well. He was a fighter. He stood up in the face of injustice, oppression, and immorality. His intense morality and simplicity gave his message intense credibility and clarity, and I'm praying for some more of that in our day and age as well. So now we're moving on um, to John chapter 2, and I want to kind of spend a little time unpacking a few things here, but really focusing on verse 11. Um, when I uh, was at a camp, I was a camp counselor one summer, um, actually a counselor in training, and they gave us camp names. They called me Spelunk, and uh, Spelunk is obviously referring to like cave exploration because I had done a little bit of that in my time. 
Um, and uh, it's always fun to go exploring in these caves because you go through maybe a little hole kind of crawling through and it's not that fun, it's not that, that good, but then it opens up into kind of a bigger cavern and then you can kind of go and there's lots of different places to explore. There's lots of things that, that if you go through it, it opens up into these broad things. And as you read in the book of John, he, he just has so many phrases that you could just spend the rest of your life just chewing on and diving into. And so as we read here in John chapter two, it's just like that. And just real quick before we go on, I want to talk to the kids for a second that are still awake, that haven't left, left the room, that may be upside down on your couch by now. Totally understand that. No problem. But kids, if you would draw me a picture of what it looks like to explore a cave, a spelunker, um, someone who's going into a cave exploring, um, that would be a fun drawing for me to see this week. Thanks for the ones that have been coming. And uh, make sure you put your address with them so that I can make sure something shows up in your mailbox um, in that regard. So there you go, kids, spelunking. That's what you're going for today. So anyways, let's, let's dive in and do some exploration into John chapter 2. Here's some phrases. He starts out chapter 2 with, on the third day. Now, for those of us that know about the resurrection of Jesus, for John, who obviously did, that phrase, on the third day, is such a big deal. Um, sorry, my phone's ringing real quick. There you go, live. Now you know it's live. It's not, it's not fake. <laughs> Um, but anyways, so on the third day, he uses this phrase. And uh, we don't know if he's talking about the third day that he had been with Jesus as one of his disciples. Um, we don't know if, if this is three days later from when he had that interaction with Nathaniel. Um, or we don't know if he's just kind of saying, hey, on the third day, Jesus always does cool stuff. And he's referring to that. We're not sure. But again, loaded question. We don't have time to unpack too much. He talks about going to a wedding in Cana. And wedding in this day and age is a very big deal. Wedding for the Hebrew people is a very big deal. There's like a year-long lead-up to a wedding. Um, there's all these traditions, all these things that happen. It's a real communal thing, getting everybody together. And when you're a people who are being oppressed, uh, when you're a people who have um, no, no privileges, no, no rights as Roman citizens, um, it was a really big deal to have these moments where people could come together. And, and have this special time of rejoicing and kind of feeling human in the midst of all of this. And so this was a wedding that Jesus was invited to, and it was in Cana. Now, Cana, we don't know where it was or, or anything like that. It, it's, a, it's a town that, um, that didn't make the cut in a lot of ways for our maps. It's, it was such a small village and very insignificant in, in a lot of ways. But here it is that John is mentioning Cana as a place where Jesus did something really cool. And uh, I just love that about uh, uh, Jesus. Um, I love how different he is than our day and age. Anything we do cool, we make sure and post it and make sure everybody knows how cool we are and all those things. But when Jesus was doing the first uh, miracle, the first time he was really revealing to humanity who he was, he was doing it in a way that very few people were going to know about it. In fact, really just his family, his village, and his disciples but uh, that's, again, the emphasis we've been trying to say as we go through all of this. What are we going to do to heal the world, to, to bring real change into our world? And I think the Jesus model is to just first take care of the ones that God has given you. I think that's the most important thing. And in addition to that, you know, make sure you're taking care of the ones he's asking you to give yourself to, not just the ones he's given you but the ones he's asking you to give yourself to. So that's what Jesus was doing here. Um, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, um, so there's this other phrase, Jesus had this little interaction with his mom. She said, they have no more wine. And again, we don't have time to dive into it, but I wonder what made her think Jesus could do something about this? 
What in the 30 years of her living with Jesus made her think Jesus could do something about this that we don't know about? The only thing we know Jesus did between 0 and 30 was he spent the night at church one time and was asking some questions when he was 12. So I just think it's so interesting to think about their relationship there and, and what is being um, implied in this. And uh, his answer to her is, woman, <laughs> why, why do you involve me? Basically saying, hey, um, you're not really in line with what I feel like my father is telling me to do here. Um, and he says, my hour has not yet come. He knew there was a timing to his life. He knew there was a, a, a moment where he was supposed to step out. Um, but at this point, he knew it wasn't time to do that. And yet still, he does in a small way um, show his glory to those that were there. And then, you know, a bunch of other things go on. But I want to focus in on verse 11. Now, verse 11 says, What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. So again, John is writing, end of his life, probably trying to um, speak into the Greco-Roman world that he was feeling um, like an evangelist towards or feeling a mission to go and preach to. And he was sharing about what, what, what sign Jesus gave him in his process of believing, and the disciples as well. And this is the first of seven signs. Um, in, the, in the Gospel of John, there is seven signs. There are seven miraculous things that Jesus does that, that are um, sometimes included in the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and sometimes are not. But here they are. The changing of water into wine, the healing of the royal official's son, the healing of a disabled man, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on the water, the healing of the man born blind, and the raising of Lazarus. And obviously the resurrection would be another sign as well. But these are the signs that John gives us in his gospel. And basically I feel like John's probably letting us know these were the most significant moments in his journey of faith as he was interacting with Jesus and coming to a full understanding of who this man, this small town man, really was and that ultimately he wasn't, he was the son of God, or as we talked about, like, he was the Logos. He was God's whole plan, agenda, politic. He was everything. Um, he was there in the beginning. So John went from a place of just interacting with this person who was kind of John the Baptistist for all he knew, to ultimately seeing Jesus as God in the beginning, forever, and uh, writing about that. So this was the first sign. This was a significant sign for John. Um, and I like what he says here. He says that, that, um, that Jesus revealed his glory in this way and his disciples believed in him. John's trying to do something significant there. We know the whole theme of the book of John. Again, we talked about last week. John chapter 20, 30 and 31 says that Jesus performed many other signs than the seven or eight that I've given you in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this, in this book. But these ones, John says, are written so that you may believe in him, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Life in his name. Um, so this is why John's reading. Basically, John is writing this whole book so that you and I will believe in him, will believe in Jesus. And, uh, and so we're, that's, our, that's our whole goal, is that as we read this, we'll continue to believe in Jesus. Those who don't believe in Jesus or don't have any kind of connection with Jesus, that, that after reading this, they'll start to take Jesus seriously and begin to begin a relationship with him. For those of us that have a relationship with Jesus, that this will foster and build and nourish our faith so that we'll continue to believe in Jesus, even against all of the other shouts um, 
that come our way and all of the other things that are trying to demand our affection, our attention, and our belief. Um, but what I want to do is I want to really start to unpack what it means to believe. Um, all my life, uh, I was raised in a Christian home. Um, my parents believed in God and believed in Jesus, and, and uh, they had their own reasons, and they would share some of those testimonies with me from time to time. I remember uh, one time, actually it was interesting, but it was really significant because of my dad. I know who my dad is, and my dad was this big, strong guy, and my dad um, did not like to rely on other people, did not like to, um, to make other people have to help him. He was very strong, he was very stout, and he helped a lot of people all over but it was really a tough thing for him to allow someone to help him. And he told me the story about when he and my mom were first dating and, um, and, and they actually went to this, this, uh, this Christian you know, conference of some sort. And there was someone there speaking and, and uh, he had, had spent time kind of growing up in a home where his mom and dad were very um, Pentecostal, very kind of like, hey, yeah, Jesus is the best. And, you know, telling people about Jesus and really believing in miracles. But my dad had grown up, um, I think, becoming sort of even a little maybe jaded in that direction and uh, had spent a lot of time living in the world. And, um, and, and then when he met my mom, um, and my mom started actually, you know, come into full faith in Jesus, he started to think more about it again. And he said they went to this conference, and um, at the end of it, they were going to pray that... Um, that people could receive the Spirit of God, and he was watching people be slain in the Spirit. Now, please don't get caught up on slain in the Spirit. This is not the point of this message. Um, I, I don't see it in the Scriptures and all of those things, so I'm not trying to make it a proponent of what the, when the Spirit shows up. Just telling you a story that my dad told you, an experience in his life that helped him believe. And so he and my mom went forward, and he, again, was this big, strong football player guy, and there was this little lady that was praying for people, and, uh, and, and it wasn't that everybody was falling over when she prayed for him, but um, he was just standing there. And when she prayed for him, um, he fell over. And, and again, the, 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 this is not the important thing. Please don't get caught up on this. But for my dad, what it was, it was, my, it was the Lord showing up to my dad in a significant way saying, hey, um, I am here. I am real. And uh, I do have a plan for you. And, uh, and it was something that helped my dad believe, helped my dad go, okay. And my dad never talked about being slain in the spirit anymore, didn't start thinking this is important. Um, but he did really start thinking it was important to believe in Jesus. And, uh, and so I, I think it's interesting, however we come to this concept or this phrase, believing in him, we all come with baggage. Some of us come with um, stories in our life of Jesus's faithfulness that have been passed down from generations. Um, and maybe even shown up in our own life. Awesome, wonderful, hallelujah, that's great. Some of us come to this message in this moment right now, and you've never seen Jesus do anything. And in fact, the times you've prayed, or the time you've really tried to lean in and say, okay, God, I need you, uh, nothing's happened, nothing's shown up. And so we all come to this phrase differently, I understand that. Um, and what I'm trying to do is just kind of share with you the way, the way John is sharing, saying this is what's helped him believe. And, and yet I need to unpack this word believe a little bit for us. Um, faith uh, is a hard word to kind of conceptualize and, and make practical and embody. Um, belief is, is the same thing. Um, so believing in him. I want to start out to tell you what I think John the Apostle is trying to communicate when he says that, that I begin to believe in him. 
And a picture of that, I think, comes where in the book of John, John never uses his name, but he refers to himself as the disciple that Jesus loved. And he refers to himself as the one who leaned against Jesus' breast. Um, particularly in that night of communion, he was kind of leaning on Jesus. And um, when I would try and encapsulate what, what John the Apostle would define faith as, is I think he would define it as um, complete trust, or even trust over time is another phrase that I've heard. But it's this idea of just kind of leaning on Jesus because you know he's got you. And John, for whatever reason, it's interesting because he was originally called one of the sons of thunder. There was something about he and his brother James that was just like passionate and wild and, and maybe abrasive and maybe explosive. They were fighters. They wanted to call down fire on people at some point. But as we see John, um, who's spent time with Jesus and been formed into the image of Christ, later in life we see John as this one who just wants us to love one another. He writes so much about how important it is that we care for one another. That really the, the, the law of God is fulfilled when we, when we love each other. And, and so here the sons of thunder has been totally formed into this, this trusting, um, uh, caring, um, compassionate person. And I just love what Jesus can do in, in our lives. And, and that's what John is saying to you. We need to trust him. He leaned on his breast totally at ease because of Jesus' sovereignty. And, and what I want to do is I want to, you know, bring to us that concept today. Um, where are we at? Are we totally at ease in the knowledge of Jesus' sovereignty? When our world is getting shaken, when our own souls are getting shaken, when our community is getting shaken, when our nation's getting shaken, um, with our health, health is getting shaken, um, what Jesus wants to prove to you and demonstrate to you is that he really is sovereign and, uh, and you can completely trust in him. It's not a blind trust, but a trust over time and time and time again, Jesus showing up. It's the substance that shows up for the things you're hoping for, as um, Hebrews would say. So that's John's definition. It's a complete trust. So, so when, when, when uh, John is referring to this miracle that happened at Cana in this small town, small village way, he's saying that, that that was the beginning of my complete trust in Jesus. And uh, I think that's where we need to start walking with Jesus and, and seeing where our complete trust is these days. Secondly, we have um, Paul. Paul the Apostle wrote most of the New Testament, and he's actually called the Apostle of Faith, like John would be called the Apostle of Love. Um, and Paul, when he defines faith, it's more of a pledge of allegiance in a lot of ways. You know, we, I mean, it's, it's uh, not Memorial, it's, it's Independence Day weekend, where we celebrate um, the freedoms that we have as Americans and those who have, have brought us to this point and, and the fight to continue to maintain these freedoms for all people. It's good and right. Um, and, you know, we have this pledge that we make our kids do where they put their hand over their heart and they pledge allegiance to this country and, and all of that. Um, and for Paul, a faith is really, it is a pledge of allegiance. He refers to, the, in Romans chapter 10, that we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. And we need to believe in our heart that he, rose in, that he rose from the dead. And in some ways, to sum that up, Paul's speaking about this confession um, of our mouths and this believing in our hearts that, that we, we, we confess that he is sovereign over creation. He is Lord. And we believe in our hearts that he's the only one that can save us from death or the only one that can give us God life. 
And uh, that's what we believe in the resurrection. So, so for Paul, it really is this kind of allegiance. It's, it's not just a, a moral or, or a intellectual assent of like, oh, I, I say the right things, now I've got it. But it's this pledge of allegiance for the rest of my life, for the rest of my days, for the rest of my breaths. I am going to do what is in the best entrance of Jesus and his kingdom. It's basically coming out of one kingdom and pledging allegiance to another kingdom. It's basically denying the citizenships of all of my life that I've always been, all the identities I've ever had prior, and now saying there is one identity, there is one citizenship that I really am pledging allegiance to, and that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ, both now and forever. And then there's this author, Matthew Bates, that I've been reading a little bit about, and I like what he says. He breaks it down into three different sections. He says um, faith or believing is, is a mental ascent. There is a reality there. There is sworn fidelity, um, so that's this kind of allegiance concept of really kind of um, changing where we were allegi uh, had allegiance and making a new allegiance and being faithful to it consistently over time. And then he also talks embodied loyalty. And I like that because now it's the word becoming flesh. Now it's faith and works. It kind of brings the whole thing together where, where our faith should um, cause our feet and hands to, to do different things. Our, our faith should cause us to go different places and be with different people that maybe without faith in Jesus we wouldn't have. Um, so I like that. Mental ascent, sworn fidelity, and bottled loyalty. Mental ascent. We need to take care of um, what we read and listen to and watch and fill our minds with. Absolutely. Um, we, need, we live in the information age, not the truth age. Don't forget that. Um, and our saving faith comes by the hearing of the Word of God. That's what Romans teaches. And so um, as we take in information, knowledge, understanding, um, it creates faith. And it might create faith in Jesus or it might create faith and allegiance to other things besides Jesus. And, and, and sometimes those allegiances can be challenged where um, God, you know, the, the Bible teaches us we can't really serve two masters. So we have to watch what comes in because it can produce faith and allegiance in a wrong direction. Um, sworn fidelity. We need to take care what we pledge allegiance to. No one can serve two masters. There are powerful political forces clamoring for our attention and devotion. We need to make sure our allegiance to Jesus is not compromised or in competition with anything else. And as I was um, praying this morning about this message, the image of Revelation 18 came to mind. And in there, um, again, I don't want to go real deep into it, but um, in there you have this, this, this call um, from the angels of God at the end of this kind of shaking that's gone on in the world. And it says, it says, I want you to come out of her. And it's talking about the whore of Babylon or whatever, and we, you know, the, the world system, the world's order, whatever it might be. And, and it's this call to the people of God at that time to, to come out of her. She is going to be ruined and exposed and destroyed. And you need to come out of her. Again, speaking to this challenge for Christians that we need to be in the world, but not of the world. We need to serve this world and care for this world and, and try and bring healing to this world. But we got to make sure we don't get caught up in worldly ways in the process or, or become worldly in the process. And then this last thing, embodied loyalty. Your calendar, your phone usage app, your bank statements, your family, they're all proof um, to see where your loyalties lie. And for most of us, it's not that we are loyal to bad things, um, even though it's tricky these days. Um, 
You know, the devil shows up as an angel of light, we're told, and, and marketers can make things look so good these days that we do have to watch out what we're becoming loyal to. Um, but the other thing I want to address is that not only are we loyal to bad things, but sometimes we're just so passive to God things, God's callings on our life, God's God guidance. And, and we need to make sure our faith um, actually is embodied in some way. It shows up on the ground. It shows up in practical life. It shows up in this world. Um, it shows up in our relationships with those around us. It shows up in, in, in the way that we use the resources that we have. It shows up in those places. Um, so there you have mental ascent, sworn fidelity, and embodied loyalty. And just to kind of wrap all this up, how it's working itself into my life right now, I was sitting um, in a direction team meeting and we're obviously trying to figure out what to do as a Living Streams organization. And I'm always trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do as just a follower of Jesus as well. Um, and we just spent some time listening. And I, I could picture Jesus there, like in front of me and looking at me. And, and he was just kind of, you know, like ready to say something. I was like, Jesus, just say it. Just, just say what you want me to do. And bam, we're going to do it. And we're going to go all out. Doesn't matter what anybody says. We're just doing it. And, uh, and I really had this sense, I wrote about it in my weekly email, that Jesus wasn't saying, um, this is what Jesus said, I don't want to tell you what to do. I want to see what you're going to do. He's like, I, I've, I've invested in your life. I've taught you my ways. I've given you my spirit. And, uh, and it was almost like he had this joyful anticipation, like a father who who in some ways knows his people or his, his children are going to do something great, like they're excited to see. And he was just, I just want to see what you're going to do. And, and, and I, I felt like that message was helpful because it kind of freed me up from being so worried that I might make a mistake. Um, and it just made me start wanting to do things that I know Jesus is going to think is beautiful. And so that's really my, my challenge to each one of us, um, twofold. One is we, we've got to figure out how to make sure we're not getting caught up in the world or secular humanism, or some sort of Marxist approach of, of how we're going to bring change. We've got to make sure and, and, and not get caught up in, in, in this world, in this world's systems. And we've got to realize where we already are caught up in the world's systems. And we've got to figure out how to pull out, how to come out and be separate, um, being in the world but not of the world. But at the same time, we've got to figure out then how we can... Um, serve this world, how we can, can walk in this world in a way that gives our Heavenly Father a lot of joy. Um, and for us, you know, I've shared some of those ideas. We'll share some more of those ideas on July 9th at the congregational meeting, 6.30. Don't miss it. <laughs> um, but that's really what it's all about. And as we sit here and as Americans and as we sit here um, as, as, you know, whatever ethnicity we might have, whatever political party we have, um, I think it's really important to just make sure that, that above it all, first and foremost, every day our affection, our devotion, and our allegiance is, is to the one who conquered death and showed us how to live. Um, to, really, to really be there first and foremost. And then to go into this world and engage in society's pain. Absolutely um, do the things that, that um, really do help bring changes in our world. Um, like John the Baptist did and like we need to today. So with that being said, um, we're going to do a little response time now. Um, you can do it right where you're at at home, but we ask that you take a few minutes here and we'll put up a slide and uh, we're going we're gonna to have communion as a part of it. So if you need to go run and get a piece of bread and a little juice, 
of some sort, that'd be great. Um, if you're at home but not alone in kind of a group, we'd love for you to do this together. One of you just lead out, be strong, be brave. Um, and uh, take advantage of this time to really let the Word of God kind of sink all the way in and uh, respond to the slide that we're going to put up and go through the process, take communion together, and then we'll have a song at the end um, to just kind of finish it all up. God bless you.